Pod, brought to you by Transition Solutions. Your host for today's episode is our founder and CEO, Mr. Fred Studley. This episode is with an experienced material planning professional. He describes the function, the many challenges and rewards the positions offer, talks about the need for continuous learning with computer systems to be successful in this function. Ed also talks extensively about the value of building relationships without power, a key to success in many jobs. I'm sure you'll enjoy this episode. Uh, Ed Scott, uh, welcome to CareerPod. Uh, it's glad to be here, friend. Looking forward to it. All right. Today we'll be talking uh, to Ed about uh, his career in materials planning. Uh, Ed, let's go back to the beginning, uh, the early stage of your life, education, and how that may have influenced your career choice. Okay, sure. Yeah, I, I actually uh, was born and raised in Arlington and relocated to Norwood when I was about 13. Uh, graduated from Norwood High uh, and went on to Northeastern University to study business management. Uh, early career, that's interesting. Uh, I originally uh, wanted to go into engineering because I had great math skills, but uh, my uh, guidance counselor kind of steered me away from that because my mechanical drawing skills were not that strong. Um, so, um, he recommended that I, I, I pursue a business career, which is what I did. Um, uh, you know, and, uh, uh, I enjoyed it for the most part. Uh, you know, uh, um, I graduated from Northeastern with my degree. Uh, I really enjoyed the co-op program. Good. Did you go into materials planning, uh, as part of your, uh, cooperative internship or was that after graduation? No, actually, I um, uh, I originally my my first co-op job was with a company, uh, manufacturing company, and um, I started off actually in customer service. Uh, went from customer service to distribution, and then I did dabble somewhat in production control at that time. Uh, the focus in production planning came a little bit later after graduation. Okay, let's talk about the, that first job you got, and and then. Uh, the question is a little bit about what you had in terms of prerequisite experiences, but looking back, what would you, uh, if you were involved in a hiring decision, what kind of skills, experiences, credentials uh, would you look for uh, for a new hire? That's, that's, you have to be successful in materials is you have to be able to build relationships. Um, you know, there's some math skills that are involved. There's some analytical skills that are involved, but those are really the tip of the iceberg. Uh, materials is kind of an interesting profession in that, you know, you have a lot of responsibility, but not a lot of control over things. Uh, you know, uh, you, you can produce the best production plan uh, known to man, uh, uh, one that meets all of the uh, corporate uh, goals and objectives. But if you can't get people to march to that plan, uh, so to speak, uh, you know, you, you will not be successful. Okay. And how did you get into uh, materials? Was it part of a rotation assignment, as you kind of alluded to, or was it after graduation? And how did that happen? Okay. Um, I actually co-op, when I was co-oping, uh, I actually got involved in some of fill-ins for, for planners that were on vacation. That was kind of my role as a co-op uh, at uh, the company I was working for at that time. So I got a little bit of a taste of it. Actually, upon graduation, I actually went into uh, customer service and then customer service management. And then kind of that, uh, I guess uh, the company I was working for had some uh, high um, aspirations for me and started moving me around. And I did end up in, in production planning as a result of that. Okay. Uh, 
why don't we just take a step back and if you look at the, the core responsibilities of, it used to be, I think, production control, now it's material planning. What are the yep. the, the basic, uh, you know, responsibilities of working in that capacity? Well, you know, from a higher level, you're looking at uh, it's your responsibility to naturally meet uh, uh, on-time delivery uh, uh, statistics. Uh, it's also uh, your responsibility to minimize inventory investment. Uh, and, you know, you're also responsible for producing a plan that's uh, realistically, it can realistically be met by your manufacturing organization. Um, specifically, if you want to really get down to the to daily things, uh, you know, uh, you probably produce a new master schedule once a quarter. Uh, you, you know, you make adjustments to that probably on a weekly, biweekly basis. But it's mostly follow-up with manufacturing to make sure that, you know, dates are being met. Uh, follow up with purchasing to, to chase shortages down, if you will. Um, you know, those are the day-to-day routine things. Okay. Uh, what kind of tools do you use? Sure. Sure. Well, early in my career, we used manual spreadsheets. But um, actually, uh, this was right around the time that uh, MRP systems came out. And um, we started to implement those. As a matter of fact, I had a kind of a sidetrack in my career and went into uh, system support uh, uh, to implement MRP systems. But, uh, but that came to be, uh, you know, the, the in thing in those days was, it was MRP. Um, the other thing, too, is, is a little, well, I want to go into a little later on. I know we're going to catch up with that a little later, so I'll hold my, my comments on that. Well, I think you're kind of alluding to emerging technologies and how they have impacted the job. Why don't we deal with that right now? Uh, so you MRP systems were coming online, and you were able to yep. learn those, and that was a big plus. What other uh, technology impacts uh, were really taking place on the, the role of material planner? Well, it, uh, everything's early, you know, earlier in, in my career is, is – uh, in, with MRP, it was that was boy that was the end all be all of everything. Uh, a little later on, um, if I was, could just interject, a, if I could just interject, what does MRP stand for? Material requirements planning. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, so, you know, you you were presented with reports that were computer generated based on uh, you know occurrences, schedules, uh, meeting schedules, missing schedules, etc. Um, a little later on, um, you had to really have skills in the, uh, I'll call it data collection and manipulation, i.e. Uh, Excel. Was the, that was what was in vogue when I was uh, uh, a little later on in my career. Um, I think it's critical that you know, if that's not the current, uh, you know, uh, um, uh, choice, system of choice of data gathering and, and manipulation, uh, whatever it is, I think it's important. You got to make sure you keep up with that because that's become all uh, important to the to the function. Yeah, and I guess the advice for newer entrants is it, it takes work to be to gain mastery in the manipulation okay. of these uh, databases and and software. So you really have to really commit yourself and before you enter this field you need to be cognizant of the fact that this is a prerequisite the ability to feel comfortable with with this data and uh, the the emerging systems and software that you have to work with 
Okay. Absolutely, absolutely have to to be successful anyway. Okay. Well, how about uh, advice to others? Just general advice uh, to people in material planning, or you know, let's let's assume you're in material planning. What advice would you give them? Oh gosh. Um, other than you know, keeping up with the technologies, which is important almost in any field of endeavor. There, um, I would say that um, you know you you've got to master the uh, uh, and be real. You know, you've got to master building relationships. Yeah. Again, key. If if you can't build relationships and you can't work with people, don't go into this profession because you you won't be successful. Yeah, you mentioned before I, that you don't really have power in this position. But you need to have influence and to, exactly. to try to change either interpretations or understanding, and that does take relationship building skills. So, yeah, well, absolutely. Do you, do you have an example of where relationship building was helpful to overcome uh, a problem? You know, for instance, a lot of times manufacturing has a totally different. Uh, uh, goal set, uh, a goal, set of goals, if you will. Uh, you know, they want to maximize the use of their machines, uh, minimize change over times, uh, et, et cetera. And that can be very detrimental or in conflict with what materials goals are. Uh, you know, the, you know, on-time delivery. Well, it doesn't do me any good if a manufacturing plant wants to set up uh, to make a certain manufacturing run and keep it running for you know, weeks at a time when that's not the material that's needed. So, you know, their goal, again, is utilization, plant utilization, um, and you know, a little bit of a conflict there. Right. What are the other uh, uh, pressure points? You've got them from manufacturing. Mm -hmm. You may have some quality yeah. uh, interactions. You've got it from procurement. Uh, general yeah, management yeah. may be beating on you. What, what Can you tell me a little bit about that, the number of uh, – you know, flashpoints that you have in material planning. You, you know, it's interesting. Um, uh, during some of my interviews with uh, companies, uh, people who really don't understand the materials professional ask you, you know, they want maximum customer service and they don't want any inventory. Um, <laughs> you know, th that's just a pipe dream. Uh, it's yep. just not going to happen. The goal of manufacturing, <clears throat> excuse me, materials planning is you've got to balance. I often say that, if you say that plant utilization, inventory uh, investment, you know, uh, control and meeting customer demands, which include meeting forecasts as far as sales are concerned, um, if you try to do 100% on any one of those, you will fail. You've got to, you know, if you can keep those at an even 90, 95%, uh, that's that's really what makes a successful planner. Sometimes that's a tough sell. Okay. As you look back at your career, uh, what made the difference in terms of some environments? I'm sure some environments, you know, uh, you were out of balance, so to speak, because of political or just the bias of the organization. On the other hand, you were, you know, in a good situation where you were able to strike that balance. What, what was the, the, the differential? What made it one environment or the other? I think the understanding, um, probably the, the best company I worked for uh, and, and the one I was probably the most successful at, had an appreciation for, for materials planning. 
Not a lot of companies do. You get companies that are driven by manu- former manufacturing managers that you know raise the level of uh, uh, to, to you know a CEO or, or whatever. Um, you know, and, and their 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 focus is is you know utilize that plant. Uh, you know, turn out that production. Right. Well, you know, that's really great as long as you're producing the things you really need. Um, that- yeah, and understand. So sometimes it's the responsibility of materials to kind of educate the people to that. Right. In the in the instance you cite, was that part of the culture, or was it really coming just from individual leaders? Um, well, I'll tell you. In, in this case, it, it started off with the founder of the company, and he was he saw the benefits of a strong materials organization, and he fed that down. Uh, when I interviewed at that. I never actually, the gentleman had retired by the time I got there, but his legacy uh, or whatever, the way he set that company up, people were wholeheartedly into, uh, you know, uh, the MRP philosophies. Uh, and it made the job so much easier and so much, uh, uh, not just easy. It wasn't, it's not an easy job, but um, just more, uh, uh, oh gosh, satisfying. Yeah. Okay. To know that people above you, really understood what you were doing. It's not a well-understood field, believe me. Okay. In my experience, anyway. You bring up the subject of, you know, your manager, supervisor. Uh, in a lot of our interviews, that's been a, a, a major difference between being satisfied, getting work done, accomplishing goals. Uh, let's flip to a negative, uh, uh, not naming names, but who was your worst supervisor or manager and, and why? Okay. Oh gosh. Yeah. That's, uh, I can think of two, <laughs> two in two different situations. Uh, well, why don't you tell us about uh, one it? Of them, uh, one of them, uh, one of them was because, uh, my manager seemed to be when we needed him as, as a, as a function materials planning, uh, he was nowhere to be found. Uh, when we were successful, he was right there with us trying to take a lot of the credit. That was, that was a, very frustrating experience. As a matter of fact, I did not stay at that company very long. Yeah. I left and went you, on to something else. Do you, what was the driver there, Ed? Do you think he didn't have the knowledge or he didn't have the spine? Um, I think a little of both. I don't think he ever really worked as a planner. I don't yep. think he had an appreciation for the function. Uh, and um, he was extremely, he wasn't a team player. He was out for himself and, uh, you know, materials, it's, it's an interesting question, too. You get people, multiple people working in a materials group, especially a planning group, and there's a bond that grows between them. Uh, you know, they all help each other out. Uh, and uh, when you have a manager that's not willing to do that, uh, it's just very frustrating. For those listeners that are considering a job change, sometimes in interview, it's important, particularly in later stage interviews, for you to go a little deeper in your questioning of your supervisor and of your peers in terms of mm-hmm. questions such as, well, when there's stress and pressure in the job, what kind of management style does a supervisor have? Uh, either yeah. asking that directly to them, in, in essence, doing kind of a online reference check on the supervisor. Mm-hmm. In many cases, you won't get candor and you won't get the truth, but nevertheless, it's worth probing uh, uh, mm-hmm. that that whole subject because it makes a huge difference so uh, well you know and during that interview process you got to kind of keep 
you know, and try to pick up on the little innuendos. Nobody's going to come out and say, boy, the boss really is, uh, he's a terrible boss. But, right. you know, if you question him enough and, and keep your ears open, uh, you know, you, you're liable to find out uh, what you really want to know. Okay. How about satisfaction in your career, uh, in, in specifically in material planning? What what gives satisfaction to that type of job and you personally? Well, you know, when you sit down, um, uh, uh, you know, you, you're very instrumental in each meeting. We used to have quarterly sales targets, uh, and that was a big deal to meet that sales targets. And planning is a big part of that. Yeah. Um, working with the uh, the customer service people, the marketing people, salespeople, um, you know, and have somebody say, geez, you know, the customer is really happy with what we've done for them, et cetera. Um, another thing uh, that, you know, and again, when the finance people say, gee, you're doing a great job on mater- on uh, managing my inventory levels, you know, they like to hear those things. And again, any company they worked for that was um, what I would say a good experience with me, all recognize that. Right. Now, the flip side has to do with frustration, and uh, you've alluded to a little of that before, but specifically what, and maybe generically, what causes frustration uh, for material planners? Uh, well, you know, I, you know, I didn't give you that second example yeah, sure. Of uh, you know, manager, but uh, you know, I had been in this this uh, line of work for many years. Uh, had a situation where uh, we had a copy exact uh, requirement by a certain customer, a major customer. Um, uh, copy exact means you cannot only change a product; you can't even change who you source the components from. Um, so our major supply, one of our major suppliers, was going out of business. And it forced us to seek new um, uh, new sources for certain commod- a certain commodity. Um, my my suggestion at that time, they said, well, the plan is going to have to manage that, uh, you know. And I said, well, the only way you can manage that is by um, having different part numbers, because I said you cannot have the same part number and expect a stock room. A, a, in a floor, as a matter of fact, the manufacturing floor in this area was a clean room. So mm. the planner wasn't even anywhere near that clean room, uh, you know, and uh, actually uh, that we came to almost the blows over this uh, situation. Very frustrating. People just did not understand. You know, the planner, some people have this impression that the planner should be the, uh, you know, the, the main controller. But, you know, again, as I said earlier, not a lot of, not a lot of, uh, uh, power to do to do those things. Is procurement typically a, a separate and distinct function from material planning, or occasionally it's under the same umbrella? It's under the same. Uh, a materials manager, okay, typically has planning. Uh, will sometimes you know have a stock room, uh, and will have procurement. We worked very closely with procurement, but but we, I guess you would say we were under the same umbrella. Okay, so some same literally report ultimately to the same person or whatever. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Typically, you would have a you have a purchasing manager and a planning manager, and they would report to a materials manager. All right. Uh, how about and would like to have your candid feeling? Uh, you know, as you reflect back, anything you would have done differently, and there may be some regrets. Maybe, uh, what is your view as you look back at your career? 
Well, if I look back at my real early career, I probably might have gone. I might have gone into something totally different. Uh, I've always enjoyed math. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I was in college, instead of taking psychology courses, I took math electives. Uh, I was very good at it. Didn't even know about what an actuary was at that time. Uh, but, you know, that might have been a better career path for me. Oh, actuary. Okay, well, it's good. Well, actually, what decisions would you have made differently? It, ultimately, it was my, obviously, it was my decision to go into that, although uh, my father was in production control. Okay. And I think I was you know, kind of sort of, uh, not steered toward, toward it, but, um, you know, I don't know, kind of coaxed into it or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and, and my own fault was at that time when when, uh, when I had a desire to do something with that was uh, you know heavily into mathematics, you know I'm a I'm a 17 year old kid that uh, you know really didn't know much about the world and uh, uh, you know I, I should have at that point in time if I was more mature have looked into various professions a lot more deeply than I did I just kind of went with the flow if you will yeah. and I think that was a big mistake on my part. A lot of the people we talk to, it's amazing how impactful a family can be, whether it be a sibling or a mother or father. And, and for the largest part, that's very positive. But on the other hand, sometimes, you know, swimming upstream and, and doing something differently than, you know, the, the family tree has done uh, can be, you know, most helpful. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. how, how about mentoring? Uh uh, who's been the biggest influence as you look back on your career? Oh, you know, I, I can't um, say that I had a mentor per se. Uh, did I have managers and coworkers that influenced me? Oh, uh, most definitely. Uh, I can think of one manager I had uh, at that company that uh, was very successful with their MRP. Uh, I often say he was the best manager I ever had. Uh, and, and the main reason was is he and I could argue, uh, discuss, excuse me, discuss a topic. We'd be coming at it from two different angles. Uh, but, um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I may admit I was wrong. He may have admitted he was wrong. And we just got together and, and, and worked together to resolve it. Um, that was probably as close. He was probably as close to a mentor as I ever had. Sometimes mentors, uh, they don't wear the title. Uh, but we model their behavior. They're present, and we're in situations where we can either shadow them or there's a lot of dialogue, as you had, with a person, and that can serve mm -hmm. the purpose of mentors. So they don't have to have this formalized or a proactive approach. It's kind of like osmosis. You're going to pick up a lot of uh, skills and uh, style approaches by just that kind of observance and, and so forth. So that's, that's a good yeah. point. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. how about, uh, the role of luck, uh, good luck and bad luck in your career? Yeah, any <laughs> instances? Yeah, I think I was, uh, uh, I, I think I said, I, I, my, my luck was that I had a, an opportunity to work with some great people, you know, from not only just, uh, people who worked for me, people I worked with and managers. Um, I had a lot of darn good ones and a lot of good companies I worked for, um, you know, on the flip side, they were. Uh, you know, I had some rather short-term uh, tenures at companies that uh, I wasn't so lucky at, uh, you know, and didn't probably do as good a job checking them out up front as, as I should have. Uh, but I think that just goes along. You, you know, you learn from those experiences. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it's important. You know, even though 
I mean, there were times in my career where I was pretty desperate. Business was not that good. And I was willing to take just about anything that was I could get my hands on to get back to work. Um, and, you know, usually every single one of those turned out to be a bad a bad decision on my part and, yeah. and, and just never worked out. Again, I was fortunate enough to be able to turn those around and, and, and move on to something better. Okay. Yeah, let's talk just a little bit about that because over the last couple of decades, we've had a lot of unemployment, you know, fairly long-term yeah. unemployment for people. And while we've got full employment when we're taping this, uh, it's a cyclical world and, and that will likely come yeah. back. Uh, mm-hmm. When you had those, in the, one the key point you're making is, while there's pressure to take any job when you've been in unemployment for a period of time, uh, boy, you know, maybe you just have to work harder at, at having more choices or more options because invariably, if you rush and you don't really pay attention to all the red flags, uh, it, it's going to be a short tenure. It won't help your career. It won't help your employment situation. But sometimes you yep. you just got to go to work. But uh, any yep. any things you would do differently in, in terms of doing due diligence or would you recommend to others uh, is they, they look at jobs and, and so forth? Um, you know, I would prepare, I, you know, I don't think I did a, a lot of good preparation for some of my interviews. Uh, you know, you really want to practice, you know, practice it. I, I went to some classes, one of the companies that, uh, that I actually got laid off because business was bad, uh, provided outplacement services to the, uh, outgoing employees. And a lot of them taught, you know, about role playing, yeah. uh, you know, and really digging into the company. And that's so important. Uh, you know, it, and, you know, sometimes, you know, as you pointed out, sometimes you just have to take the job, financial right. pressures, you know, you've got to get back to work. Uh, you know, the longer you're out, it's not looking good on your resume, but at least you go in with a little bit of, you know, uh, uh, you better prep- prepare that, you know, this is going to be a tough go here and I'm going to have to stick it out for a while. Uh, and uh, don't go in with, oh, everything's going to be roses and then get slapped with it later on. Uh, right. You don't want to do that. Well, sometimes we need to take those jobs for the reasons you indicated, financial, whatever. But I think the the problem is in, in some people take a bad job for income and they stop looking. Uh, sometimes you take a job and you keep looking. And so it, it kind of accomplishes both goals. There's been a, a stigma against that, meaning it's un-American to look for a job while you're, you've got this position. But we all know that uh, you need some kind of balance, eager to stay, ready to go is a phrase, and making the resume up to date, considering leaving a job after eight months, which used to be, you know, heresy, but now it, it it's probably an acceptable consideration depending on the other opportunities. Well, yeah, I, you know, it's funny, it's funny you mentioned that, Fred, because when I um, uh, one of my, my first job after graduation was to work for the company that my father worked for. Uh, I was uh, perfectly happy there. I was being groomed. Uh, I think for, as, as a matter of fact, uh, yeah, I got my first supervisory experience there. I get my first management experience there. Uh, but it came to the point where no matter what I did, I was always going to be my father's son. Yeah. So, uh, you know, not having to, uh, not having a lot of experience in job search, at that point in time, because everything kind of just, you know, the co-op job into the job after graduation, I just kind of fell into some of these things. 
and my first job out of there I took was, um, you know, I, I just did a terrible job of, of investigating. Uh, and it's interesting you say about the eight months, because after six months on that job, I called the gentleman who placed me on that job. And I said, you've got to get me out of here. This is, you know, this is just not working. He said, oh, no, no, you can't do that yet. It'll look bad on your resume. Uh, you know, I stuck it out. I think I was there for 14 months. I called him again. And I said, Bill, if you don't get me out of here, somebody else will. I, I just need to get out. Right. And from then on, I learned a lot of lessons from that. So just, you know, we're all anxious to get a job, et cetera. But getting into a bad situation doesn't do you any good. Yeah, and I think uh, at some point in employment history, it made sense to stay in companies for three to five years before considering a change. But that time right. was where there was a, a tighter contract between employees and the employer. And we all know over the yep. last decade and a half, that contract has been broken. And it's just is yeah. what it is. I'm not going to pass a value judgment. So while you're working in a company for eight months and, and going to stick it out, the company is considering a merger, an acquisition, or a sale, which would have an impact on the company, but also have company on your job and its security. So, mm -hmm. uh, and while they may feel sorry about that, they may provide some transition benefits, uh, whether it be severance or whatever, it's not going to stop them from doing it. So uh, yeah. it goes back to having a balanced situation between employer and employee, and I think that's where we're we where we are, not where we're heading. It's interesting. My early in my career, you know, I worked for companies that had skating parties and company picnics, and you're right, it was like one big family. Yeah. Um, and I think the newer generation is probably they don't even relate to that because they've never been in that situation. Right. So to them, uh, it's a business deal. It's uh, okay. I work for you and do for you, yeah. and then you pay me, and and that's what it is. There's no. There's not as much loyalty that was felt, or much as much family that was felt. That I think those are the uh, the people in my generation had a hard time because we lived through that trans transition, right? Um, you know, and it and it hurt at times. You know, it's like wow, nobody seems to care about their employees anymore. You know, yeah. Um, yeah, I, think know I think it's I think it's tougher to tough. do that because organizations are flatter. In the old days, you'd have a mentor or an angel who could really have an impactful. Uh, you know, situation or direct your career. Now, even if they wanted, they don't have the control. They don't have the power, and they're they're in many ways, many ways, they're too uh, busy to invest in mentoring. So it's a challenging environment for both employer and employee now. So, yeah, well, I would agree. I would well, definitely uh, agree. I want to thank you very much for the time, Ed. Uh, I'm sure a lot of listeners are going to get real value out of this. So, thank you very much. Okay, no problem. Have a great day.